My father was a carpenter, and he had many tools. And when I was growing up, I had a bike. And instead of using a wrench or a socket, I had this plier. If you try to take out a bolt with a plier, you strip every nut. Basically, a plier is this clamp with teeth. And when you put it on a nut, you twist it and rip it apart. So my father tried to explain to me, that's not how you fix a bike. But as a great 80-year-old kid will always do, I don't need to listen to you. I'll do it on my own. And I stripped and ruined a lot of bikes along the way. And then when I got older, I learned the miracle of a socket wrench. Men, rejoice. Socket wrench are those little nuggets that fit right onto a bolt, perfect size, and you just turn it easily. And I said, oh. And that's the first big lesson on you need a right tool for the right job. Can you say that? Right tool for the right job. Whether it's fixing cars, plumbing, electrical work, houses, we need the right tools for the right job. Well, church, you have a job to do. God has given each one of us and the church collective a job. And God has given us actually everything we need to do this work well. One of it, the many gifts, is what we're celebrating today in Pentecost. So Pentecost, uh, we do it annually. This is our third year, and we, we gather together to celebrate God's gift. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit into Christians. Now, in the past, the Holy Spirit was working on, through, but Holy Spirit never dwelled in every single believer. And so the celebration of this coming of the Holy Spirit is the birth of the church, the song that we just heard, the prayer that Scott gave, that is the beginning of the taking of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. How do we do that? The Holy Spirit. And God has given us that command. Let's look at the history. Going into the world with the good news is not an easy feat. I want to show you some statistics. 100 years after Jesus was, was born, there were only 10,000 Christians. In 100 years, only 10,000 Christians. Statistically, that's a big jump from 12 disciples, but only 10,000 Christians. That's 0.0017%. In 200 AD, there were 200,000 Christians. Only 100 years later, they got it up 20 times, 200,000, or 0.36% of the Roman Empire. In 250 AD, it exploded to 1 million, or 2%. And lastly, 300 AD, around the time of Roman Empire and Constantinople, uh, 6 million Christians, 1 out of 10, became Christians. Woo! So you see, this, you see this exponential growth. Why the explosion? Was it the message? Were there good preaching? They had rallies. Hey, we have good coffee and donuts. Come and believe Jesus. Uh, was it a new way of living? Wow, these Christians are living differently. Was it a hope of a true God? That's God? You mean there's one God? We had all these millions of gods, but there's actually one true God? Was it the resurrection? Hey, there's a man who said he was God. He died on the cross. We saw him. And three days later, he rose again. Or was it all of the above? Powered by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but fueled by the good news carried by people filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Do you see why Pentecost is so much bigger than just merely receiving as something? It is the engine, the power that God has given and intended to use to make his name known. And so early Christians carry the message to the world. So what is it like in 2018? How is a church excitedly carrying the message of the Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit power? So it's like we have a garage with a Ferrari. Yes, let's drive it. But are we driving it? I want to share with you. This week, May 18, 2018, article just came out, and the title is, Not Every Christian Feels Responsible to Share the Gospel. Oh. <laughs> 2,000 years later, what, where are we? Not every Christian feels, I don't need to share the gospel. And so the growing number of Christians feel that sharing Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again for sins, growing number of church members like you all and me feel to say that it's being judgmental, so don't say it in this economy. So what happened? And I love the authors, just one paragraph. So what's happening here? Why are, I'm quoting. Why are Christians so reluctant to talk about their faith? The overarching cultural trends of secularism, relativism, pluralism, and the digital age are contributing to a society that is less interested in religion and that has marginalized the place of spirituality in everyday life. In other words, technology, cell phones, iPhones, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, they've made it so pervasive in our hearts and lives that spirituality is like, that's, I'll get to it when I get there. He goes on. Uh, as a result, Christians in America today have to live in the tension between Jesus' commands to tell others the good news and growing cultural taboos against proselytizing. Shh, don't offend. A core part of Christianity from its origins and many practicing Christians believe is essential for the salvation of their listeners. So can you imagine, just, just for a moment, go back to 2,000 years, can you imagine if the early Christians felt the same way. Shh, don't share about Jesus. You may offend the Roman worshipers. Would Christianity have grown from 10,000 to 6 million? No way. And God wants this message to be lived out through each member of the church. Not the pastor, not the missions elder, not the youth pastor, not, not even the choir. Every one of us, God wants this message lived out through us. And today, if we are not as a church proclaiming this gospel in every shape or form, it's not because God hasn't given us enough resources. It's because of unfaithfulness. I would be crying crazy if my garage had a Ferrari and I'm riding a scooter 11 miles to church. The power is there. We just haven't been using it. And so, let's look at Acts chapter 1 and today's text. And Acts chapter 2 is where the Pentecost came, but I want to look at Acts chapter 1. Uh, Luke summarizes his book in the Gospel of Luke. The author of Acts is Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. So Acts is part 2. It's a good sequel. And he says, I told you everything about Jesus, his teaching, his miracles, his death and resurrection. And Luke is saying, I want you to know Jesus is alive. He's really, really alive. And this changes everything. And Luke is writing exactly what happened following the resurrection. Do you remember we celebrated Easter about a month ago? 
Like, Jesus is alive, yes. We took a picture, we had good food, we had good feast. Early church, what happened after that? Well, he goes on, verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I want to share four, today's rest of the message, four commands Jesus gives in this text. First command is, stay in Jerusalem. He tells the Jews, stay in Jerusalem. So they're like, okay. I mean, they could have gone to the outskirts. They could have gone to the sea. They could have had a retreat and prayed. But why Jerusalem? We'll talk about that too. He says, your job is not to know the time God has in store for the final victory. Your job is not to look for the end times. Be ready for the end times. Jesus says, your job is not to find out what date it is. Third, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth command is, be my witnesses. Be my witness to the ends of the earth. So four commands, and I want to break them down. First, stay in Jerusalem. Why stay in Jerusalem? Man, Jesus was just killed 50 days ago in Jerusalem. You want us to go back in there? I mean, can we just go to a little camp and pray? Jesus wasn't giving a random location. This is so cool. You know the word Pentecost, Penta, what number do you hear? Penta, five or 50. This was 50 days after Passover and Jerusalem. They were celebrating the feast of Pentecost. It was a Jewish feast. And it was around the time of spring where they would have harvest. And what this feast would do is they would take the best of their crop and give it as an offering to God. The first fruit of many. And Jesus wasn't just giving this random location. He's connecting Pentecost with this first fruit, the feast. So 1 Corinthians 15.20, Jesus says, uh, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's as if Jesus is making this connection. I'm going to show you at Pentecost in Jerusalem the first fruit of millions and millions to come. Believers filled with the Holy Spirit. People who love me, empowered to live a different way. Not to live a religious routine life, but to live in a way that is life-giving and eternal. So in Jerusalem, Jesus is saying, go there because I want to connect a new meaning of the first fruit. I died and I rose again. I'm the first fruit of many who will die. You will rise again. And you will be many, the first fruit of others to come. Number two, he says, do not be concerned about when the end time will be. This is just my own personal opinion. I'm not going off the sermon note for now. But I'm just saying, whenever I hear people say, the end times are coming. Do you know when it is? Pastor, it's close. I just tune out. I start thinking about Yankees. Start thinking about what dinner I'm going to eat. Not because end times is not important, but when people start getting a little frantic about the precise date, I love Jesus' words. Don't be concerned about the specific time. Be ready for it. Live anticipating for it. But don't run around counting numbers and calendars and signs and moons and like Meghan Markle got married to Harry. Time is coming. I don't know. So going back to this, Acts chapter 1 verse 7, Jesus says, It is not for you to know times or seasons 
that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not God's got it taken care of. Don't worry about it. End times discussion is important and good, but that's not our purpose. So good things about the end times, though. Let me just share this. This is good things about the end times, when Jesus finally comes and takes us. Sickness and death will end. Hallelujah. Wow, we're going to be living with God forever. Shootings will end. Hallelujah. Max Lucado, after a Santa Fe shooting, wrote an article just this past week saying, there will be a time this nonsense will end once and for all when the end comes. Third, big hallelujah, evil will finally end. So good times in end times. But our purpose is not to dictate and figure out the end time. Prepare for it. Anticipate it. Live in a way where it's coming, but don't try to guess it. So what then is our job in the meantime? There is a job. And this is where Acts brings us back to his church. We are on a mission. Can you say, we are on a mission? The number one reason in my studies, and this is my opinion based on my studies, that churches are dying in America and the world, we have forgotten mission and we have been focused on membership, particularly the mine. It's not the world that's killing the church. We're killing ourselves because we have forgotten the mission and we've been focused on my membership. That's why churches are dying, in my opinion. But Jesus gives us a mission, and that's why you've been blessed materially. Oh, yeah. If you're sitting in this room in La Mirada, you didn't come up here uh, hauling you know, slippers and broken bag, and you didn't come to worship. You probably came on a car. You're materially blessed. If you've been blessed materially and spiritually because you have a Bible accessible to you, you have a church, you have a community, you have YouTube so you can listen to sermons, we've been blessed. We've been blessed to be a blessing, not for our own sake. And we've been blessed to be on a mission. That's why God might even want you to bless more, be, for you to be blessed more so you could be a bigger blessing to others. And the church said, amen. So bless me because, God, I want to be a blessing. Not bless me because, boy, everyone who believes in you will be healthy, wealthy, and rich. No, bless me more and help me be a steward of my money and time and energy and job so I could bless people that don't know you. That's our job in the meantime. Third, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive what? Come on, Presbyterians, you will receive what? One more time. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not when the crowd gets big and we have a nice praise band, handbell band, choir band, preachers. But the power doesn't come from things. It comes from He, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, you need this power because you can't do it apart from it. Uh, I love camping. Who loves camping here? I love camping. When you go camping, what if you went camping and you forgot the tent? All right. I could sleep in the car. Oh, no. I forgot my lighter. All right. Okay, okay. We'll figure that out. Honey, I forgot the whole ice box and food. Well, it's going to be the shortest camping trip I've ever been to. 
I saw McDonald's down the street, the last exit, we're gone. When you go on an activity, you need to be prepared. And God wants us to do his work. And God does not leave us with nothing. All we need is the message of Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit. That's all that you need. You don't need a doctorate. You don't need a college degree. It's good, but you don't need it. You don't need to be in the church for 20 years before you say, okay, I'm ready now. 20 years? You could be ready on the day that God just, just transforms you. And so, how do we receive this Holy Spirit? Ephesians 1.13 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, I love this, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said this. He says the Holy Spirit will be only for those. It is not for everybody. It is only for those who trust and believe in his name. John 14, 17. The spirit of truth, Jesus speaking here, whom the world cannot accept because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he resides with you and will be in you. The world knows of him. Some people in the church may know of God, but if you know Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit. And so God doesn't want just simply for you to receive it either. He wants you to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't just have it. Walk in it. How do you walk in it? Walk according to the Holy Spirit. And why would we need it? The last command, Jesus says this, and I love this last part. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now we're going to break that down. Jesus says, I cannot stay with you, but I will return. And I cannot stay with you, but in the meantime, here's the Holy Spirit. He will stay with you. He is my presence with you. And there's two verses we all know of, Acts 1.8 that we read, and Matthew 28.19.20 when he ascends. And this is what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It actually reads this way. NIV and ESV don't get it right. It actually sounds more like this. As you go on your way, make disciples. As you go on your way baptizing people, make disciples. As you go on your way teaching people my word, make disciples. So it's like you're doing the life, and as you're doing that, make sure you remember to make disciples. People who are focused on their own membership of church do not make disciples. People who are focused on the mission of God are engaged in a work to make disciples. What does Jesus command? As you go on your way in your life till the very end of your age, make disciples. Don't just enjoy church. I mean, we're going to have eternal time for that. I mean, we're, if you enjoy church, when we go to heaven and before the throne of God, we're going to have church, and it's going to be phenomenal. But in the meantime, be blessed in the church and make disciples. And so Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And a commentary really picked this out, and I want to share this with you. What is the difference? I'm going to read this two different ways. Just ready? First is, and you will be my uh, witnesses 
in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. Okay? And this is the way Jesus said, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the ends of the earth. And a commentary picked up on this I never saw. The wrong way to read it is this progression of start here, go here, then there, and go to the end. But that's not what Jesus said. He says, start here, and as you're doing it here, make sure you're doing it here, and keep going. In other words, we are to be mindful of the mission of God globally and locally, which is very important. Because some of us are saying, what about the people here? Why do we need to go to Mexico, China, Japan? Well, if you take Jesus' commands, he's saying, do it all to the best of your ability. And, and, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's missionaries. Pentecost was his commissioning of, go, now you're ready. And we're supposed to go. So, at this moment, some of us may be thinking, and I'm almost wrapping it up, Pastor Jason has no clue about me. Yeah, it's easy for you to say, you know, you're a pastor, you, you went to school, and now you're... It's easy for you to... You don't know me, you don't know my failures, you don't know my bad attitude, you don't know my, my hurts, you don't know my speaking skills. How can I be an ambassador for Christ? If you're thinking that, I got great news for you. That is precisely the reason for Pentecost. Because God doesn't use you because you're qualified. He uses you and then qualifies you with his Holy Spirit. Woo! Amen? Amen. And so some are like, I can't be like Jesus. I know. I can't preach. I, I know. I don't have the right to preach. But by his grace and by his power, he can take a scrap of paper and make it glorious. He can make a washed up, broken, sinful rejected person who ruined his or her life and he could say in my son jesus christ i will make you whole and i will not only do that i will use you amen that is the good news of jesus christ that he's bringing to this world and in acts chapter 2 god realizes this is the time peter steps up three thousand becomes saved you know in rooted in our new members class we're studying this and it's a cool simple summary there are only two things in this world that will last eternally. And I, I kind of like it. I kind of like what they said. There's only two things that's going to last eternally. You ready? Ready? It's people and the Word of God. There's only two things in this world that's going to last eternally. It's people and the Word of God. And the question is, as Holy Spirit-filled people who are in Christ, what are you going to invest in for the rest of your life? Go. Make disciples, and as you go, baptize them. As you go, teach them and lead them into the glorious saving news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.